1: Uh, This is two girls, one ghost. Two girls,
2: one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's my spooky friend, Corinne. Hello. And I'm your spooky booch, Sabrina. (laughs) Spooky booch. I'm a spooky
1: booch. How's it going, everybody? It is, uh, it is after Halloween. The day after. So it's still Halloween for me. It's still Halloween for us because we, um... Oh, you never got to do Halloween suggestions costumes. We messed that one up. We did it in the episode that Nick was in. I know, but you never got to do it. Nick just subbed in for you. He took your place. That's okay. Nick's doing work for me, which sometimes you need. Yeah. I wish that Halloween, I mean, I don't wish that it had already happened because I'm excited for it to happen, but I do wish that we were recording not. I mean, obviously we're recording this before Halloween happened because we don't have time in between. November 1st and Halloween to nights. Record. <laughs> to record. To <laughs> record. But I'm excited to talk about it next time. I And know. to see all of the
2: costumes that everybody is about to post. Well, and your costume, which is still a mystery to me.
1: Well, uh, you'll see it. You'll see it. Can't wait. I have been thinking about, in spring. I told you a little bit about this inn before, but I was in Newport a few weeks ago, as I'd mentioned on one of the previous episodes, saying that I was going to go. And I stayed at this one inn. It is Mm -hmm. called the Sanford Covell Villa Marina. It is on the water and it's beautiful. It's so, so old. And it kind of reminds me a bit of, I feel like you've stayed at so many more places than me that are like, you know, haunted or look haunted. And it is this super old building that the, I think is the great granddaughter of the original owner. She lives there now. She's in her eighties and she full-time lives in the inn and she has a dog and the dog is so precious. And there's antiques everywhere. And it's it's just like a treasure trove of an inn. And it's all so beautiful. And I was a little scared <laughs> to stay there. I'll, I took some pictures, but I was amazed during the day when I was walking around. And then at night, I got a little nervous because there were a bunch of porcelain dolls and just dolls around. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up and was super awake for no reason. And I was like, this is weird. Why am I suddenly awake? And I was nervous to look around the room. But I looked around, I scanned, and I didn't see anything. But then five minutes later, the clock from downstairs, they have like one of those old, not a cuckoo clock, but like the, the clocks that chime every 15 minutes or an hour or whatever. What are they called? Yeah, what are they called? Grandfather clocks. Thank you. Yes, we got there. Teamwork. Um, It chimed 3 a.m. So I was like, fuck this. But it was so beautiful. And so if anyone ever goes to Newport, I would highly suggest checking it out. I Googled it. It's so pretty. Also, the dog comes up in a photo on Google oh, Images. Oh, really? The dog was so sweet. Every I don't even know the dog's name. I don't know if it's a boy dog, a girl dog. But every time I walked around, it would just come and lean all of its body weight on me and just want to be, like, rubbed Aww. and put its head between my legs. It was just like, hang out with me. So cute. But I did learn one fun fact, um, which is that the Covell family who uh, were – Still own it, technically, through descendants, but the original owners, Mm -hmm. they were friends with Lizzie Borden. (gasps) Lizzie Borden, who we covered before, and she didn't, to my knowledge, she didn't stay there, but there was a time when after the trial, she was kind of like recovering and and taking some time away, and she stayed at another property that the family owned. Wow. I don't know. I didn't see anything online about it being haunted, but I'm not convinced it's not. It's beautiful, and it looks haunted. It's got that
2: antique old, mm-hmm. the like rich colors that you don't typically see in modern yeah. architecture and interior design. It's got that like warm.
1: And inside, so they, on the walls, like the walls are intricately painted. It's insane because the whole building itself, like the entire home was built in one year. And if you go in, it's so intricate. The woodwork is spectacular. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how the heck does like a basic... Plain farmhouse take three years for someone to build. And then this intricate, beautifully designed building took only a year back then. But they essentially have been, you know, upkeeping this property and um, having people come in that specialize and taking care of Mm -hmm. the home. But they have kept certain sections of the wall, like little circles or little patches here and there of the original paint of the original wood
2: oh that's cool yes yeah, so you can
1: see how it's aged versus the restored uh like paint and wood next to it
2: whoa also this picture it's like a the dollhouse version yep the dollhouse which yes so reminds me of bly manor oh yeah 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 Ooh, which oh god nick and i
1: just finished you just finished it and i have a lot you know of what whenever thoughts. i put these glasses on now my computer glasses and i get the shine of the computer in my glasses i think of the The man from Bly Manor whose glasses are completely Mm. lit up from the lights. Yep. I liked season one so much more. Uh, So season one is a – I think they made the mistake in that season one was horror. Like, it was scary. And yes, there were some themes to it that were outside of horror. But generally, you went to bed a little bit anxious and had nightmares after watching it. And I think they didn't set the expectations right for season two. I think everyone thought that it would be similar. And that it was truly going to be a thriller. And it's really not. It's so much more of like a gothic romance.
2: Kinda, yes. But the interpersonal and character stories of season one were so, like, I feel like I was so in it and I wanted to know what was gonna happen with each of the characters. And I got so invested in all of them, which I didn't feel as much with Bly Manor. Yeah. And the relationships with with each other were,
1: yeah. Right. I think the only character that I was super invested in was the lady of the lake.
2: Oh, I loved Flora. She was so You so did. Flora, perfectly splendid. Perfectly splendid. So cute. So cute. But um if you haven't watched it, I do recommend watching it. I think there were so many really interesting storylines and like overall it's a good show and there are a few episodes that i the way that they did them was so interesting and, and fascinating and just like a cool mm-hmm. thing from a cinematic and storytelling
1: perspective but yeah you should watch it cuz it's fun be in the conversation with us yeah let's chat i mean there's been conversation on our facebook page too i've seen i've seen people discussing we see you mm-hmm. i'm going to make a suggestion to a movie that i myself have not watched <laughs> but my brother's even more of a disturbed Horror movie watcher than me. So when he says something's good, I'm like, oh, either it's so effed up and it's gonna, I'm gonna have to go to therapy for this, or it's just like truly a good, like thriller horror movie. What is it? He watched recently, he watched the movie called Alone. It's on Amazon Prime. You have to rent it. Hmm. It says it's now in theaters, which I think are pandemic version is it of s- is renting and streaming it online mm-hmm. it's essentially about this woman who leaves she's like mourning someone and she leaves the city to cope with the loss of the someone who i believe is her husband um and then she's kidnapped by this man and oh. that's kind of the only thing that i really know because i am just reading <laughs> the two lines that are in an- on amazon prime but my brother texted our family group and he was like, you have to watch this. This is so worth a watch. So for him to say that, I think that means it's a good one. So I'm going to watch it this weekend.
2: I thought you were talking about that show everyone's been watching on Hulu where people are like thrown into the wilderness by themselves and have to survive.
1: What? Wait, what? Is this real? Is this reality? It's called Alone. Yeah, you would love it. <gasps> oh my God. I'm going to watch an episode tonight. What is it called? It's on Hulu. It's called Alone. It's called Alone.
2: And there's, like, people who are just doing so, so, so well, and then all of a sudden they slip and, like, break their ankle on a rock. And it's, like, they have a phone call that they can use in case of emergencies, and it's only, like, for calling. Well, is there service? I don't know. But they, like, film everything on their own, and it's so fascinating. And, like, basically they have to survive if they can't. They have to call, and they're, like, I'm out. And it's so sad to be, like, I've come this far, and then I broke my ankle, but there's literally no way I can continue.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do they win like a million dollars at the end or something like this? There is
2: a money prize. I don't know how much it is, though.
1: Wow. Okay, I definitely want to watch that. Yeah, that's really extreme. It's so cool. I also want to watch The Vow on HBO, but I don't have oh, HBO. Oh, so And I know you gave me your HBO password, but I still feel a sense of guilt <laughs> using it, so I never have. But this might be. This great. might be the thing that that makes me log you in. You should do finally. it.
2: Just last thing I wanted to say is that on our Facebook group, because we were just talking about it, one of our moderators, Sarah, posted. That she was like on a date with a guy and he they were in his house and all of a sudden he like pushed aside his bookshelf and it opened up into a secret <gasps> bar. And she was like, I'm either going to marry this guy or he's going to murder me. And I was like, oh my God, that is so cool. I hope you're not getting murdered. But also like that is
1: my dream. That's two things we love. Books, a bookshelf, like a little library And then just fun times with our booze. And
2: hidden secret rooms. That's three things. Hidden secret
1: rooms. Three things we love. Oh, my God. That is a dream. I'm adding that to my dream list of, like, here's everything I need in my future home. our homes, yes. Yes. How cool. Okay, well, at least Sarah survived that to let us know. And now she can say, hey, everyone in this this Facebook group is aware, so you can't murder me because they'll know (laughs) that I'm missing. They know where you're- So, we have your back, Sarah. (laughs) So cool. So sick. I love that. Me too. I want to make every single room a secret room now. Like maybe I'll I'll make a secret room off of my bathroom or something that goes into this lazy river <gasps> that takes oh you gosh. around the house. Or maybe there'll be a secret room in in my closet that takes me to an even bigger closet. And that's like it's like <laughs> Hannah
2: Montana's closet in the Disney show Hannah Montana.
1: Exactly.
2: Okay, well, we know Halloween may have just passed, but in our hearts, Halloween exists all year round. And where's the one other place in the world where that's the case, Corinne? Halloween Town! <laughs> <laughs> so forget not, my dear spooky friends. Halloween exists on the podcast forever. And therefore, today we are speaking about creatures that would exist in Halloween
1: Town our favorite movie. My favorite. I watched it so many times this year. It's, it's so good and it ages well, you know. It really, it really does. does. Never disappoints. No. And if I had one wish in the world, it would be to live in Halloween Town. I would I would entirely waste it on my selfish desire to be there. Well, doesn't it exist in is it Oregon? Is it? I think so. You're right because they have don't they have the town square and yeah. like the pumpkin set up just like Halloween Town. Mm-hmm. I'm close enough too to Salem, Massachusetts, which is basically they do basically town. live in halloween town i mean the actual like police department they have the little witch emblem on that's true the side of the car it is halloween you town basically are a witch we're in the muggle version of halloween town and you know what at least we got partially yeah there. you got some of it since it's not yet halloween for us
2: i'm gonna wait on the corner of my street all night on halloween and try to get a bus to halloween town Beep, beep, <laughs> Miss Frizzle pulls up. Let's go. <laughs> oh, I would love to go. But yeah, I decided sh- should we just jump into it? Absolutely. and you're first. Okay, so let's hear about your creature. Well, your monster. There's one creature that I really wanted to talk about that lives in Halloween town all year round. and it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I did not
1: see that coming. <laughs>
2: Oh, I'm kidding. No, I chose to talk about werewolves. 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 Another hairy, beastly creature. (sighs) So maybe I'll fall in love all over again. And Corinne, thank you so much for helping me with my transition, because this brings up a very important question I have for you and for all of our listeners. Mm. In the book series Twilight, our good friend Bella Thorne had a very, very tough decision to make, and it was Edward or Jacob, vampire or werewolf. One was cold and thirsting for her blood, and the other was warm, furry, loving, and desperate for cuddles. And I don't know who you would have picked, but, like, my love language is personal touch. And also, well, I know who you would have picked because you like hairy beasts. Um,
1: So you for sure would have picked Jacob. Yeah, but the movie version, I'll pick a uh, Jackson, whatever his name is. He plays... Fuck this. I don't remember. <laughs> Never mind. Wait, which one do you want? Why can't I remember his name? His his first name is Jackson. He's in the band Hundred Monkeys. What? He plays the one that is Jasper. Jasper and Alice. Oh. I want Jasper. He's so cute. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, no, I'd probably, I would run with the wolves. Me too.
2: I'm so wolf girl. Mm-hmm. But so basically my goal today is to make you all fall in love With the werewolf and pick jacob that's my goal (laughs) but also i'm gonna just go ahead right right away and go against everything i just told you because werewolves discussed in this episode are not like jacob from twilight they are vicious body ripping monsters who walk among us so according to legend werewolves are people just like you and me who at the sight of a full moon morph into vicious powerful mutated human wolves Taking on this transformation causes them to lose all sense of themselves and turn into monstrous hairy beasts who cannot control their lust for killing people and animals. The word werewolf literally translates into man and wolf. So were is like a German word for man and wolf is wolf. And the cause of this man-to-wolf transformation varies depending on who you ask and has diversified over the years. The beliefs and legends vary from curses, possession-like causes, witchcraft, trances, permanent or temporary transformations and so much more. But where did werewolves originate from? Let's get on our bus and travel all the way back to the Middle Ages. So, just to preface this, keep in mind to all of our listeners who like to say, "We don't do enough research." Please keep in mind, this is a 2-hour long podcast and the origin story and history of werewolves could easily be a 20 episode podcast in it on its own. So, this is just, think of this as an amuse-bouche, if you will, a little appetizer <laughs> to um, warm the palate, and if you would like a full meal, please find it elsewhere. Yeah, this is the
1: TLDR version yeah. of stories. Too long, don't Basically. read, just listen to us. Yeah.
2: But it's fun, and it's so fascinating, and, like, there are so many old texts and Every culture kind of has their own legend and folklore surrounding the werewolf, and uh, yeah, it's just very, very difficult to fit into uh, a 30-minute segment. But here I am, I'm doing what I can. So the when, why, and how of the legend of the werewolf and how it came to be are a little unclear, but scholars believe the werewolf debuted in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the oldest known Western prose that was written sometime between... 2150 and 1400 BCE. So, a very, very long time ago. In the tale, Gilgamesh jilted a lover because she turned a previous boyfriend into a wolf. It was a perceived pagan cult practice turning into a wolf. And whether it was like the lover in the Epic of Gilgamesh turning her ex beau into a wolf or men turning themselves into wolves, it was seen as the devil's work or witchcraft, if you may. But the tale of the werewolf continued to appear. So in the legend of Lycaon, which is part of Greek mythology, Lycaon angered Zeus when he served Zeus a meal made from the remains of a sacrificed boy, and as a punishment, Zeus turned Lycaon and his sons all into wolves. Later in Nordic folklore, there was a story called the Saga of the Volslungs, and in the story, a father and son discover these wolf pelts that have the power to transform them into wolves for ten days. So titillated by the temptation of becoming wolf father and son transformed into wolves and then they went on this like killing rampage in the forest and after the 10 days were up the son transformed back to human before the father did and the father thinking that his son was more prey to eat because he was still a werewolf he attacked his son and almost killed him then there's another story by pliny the elder who recounts a tale of lycanthropy which is the belief of turning into a wolf, where he mentions that in Arcadia, once a year, a man was chosen by a lot from the Anthus clan, and that chosen man was escorted into a marsh in the area where he hung his clothes into an oak tree, swam across the marsh, and transformed into a wolf, and joined a pack for nine years. If during these nine years he refrained from tasting human flesh, he would then return to the same marsh, swim back, and return to his previous human form. With the nine years added to his appearance, so he basically disappear for nine years, and if he didn't eat human flesh, then he could return to man, which Good seems Lord. very
1: difficult because yeah, the
2: idea of turning into a werewolf like many
1: of these people lose who they are, right? And that's that's nine years. Like I c- I can't commit no. to that.
2: <laughs> I couldn't either. And then like your whole family and everyone moves on. Like
1: what do you what do they think happened to you? I know. And at that point, are you even? Do you even see the light at the end of the tunnel? Or because all of your relationships were dissolved, do you not care what happens to you at that point? And then you give in to your werewolf tendencies. Reminds me of Bly Manor, the ending. I know. There are so many more
2: texts with the mention of werewolves, but the idea became – delete at some point it became deeply related to war. And warriors were often depicted wearing wolf skin to imply that they acted wolf-like in battle, you know, like slaughtered their opponents and charged into victory. So – there was all these different kind of like thoughts around it. There was some that was like, this is witchcraft. And there were others that this is good, like act like a wolf in war. And, and it was, you know, encouraged. Mm-hmm. But then into the Middle Ages, the belief in werewolves spread throughout the continent and across the globe. And it created a witch panic, like the witchcraft panicked. And and I feel like when we think of the hangings of witches all over the world, it was so deeply rooted in witchcraft, but what I learned in this research is so much of it was about werewolves, too, and there were all these, like, accusations, aside from accusing people of being witches, they accused people of being werewolves and all these other creatures because they didn't have explanations to to what was happening. Mm. The werewolf began to take on many forms in the medieval period. It was associated with witchcraft around 1400, like I said, and it became associated with the vampire in Central and Eastern Europe, Hungary, Romania, and the Balkans, while the Western werewolf-sorcerer, which was a combination of the two, became a concern in France, German-speaking Europe, and the Baltics. And this is in great thanks to some serial killers, because in 1521, there were these two Frenchmen, Pierre Burgot, or Burgot, I'm going to say, because French, and Michel Verdun, swore their allegiance to the devil and claimed to have possessed an ointment that turned them into wolves in their wolf-like form they would prowl the streets and brutally murder young children eventually they were caught and they confessed to murdering several children while in a wolf trance and both of them claimed to be wolves or so the story goes and okay. the two men were burnt at the stake because it was believed that burning a werewolf was the only way to kill them uh, another man another frenchman specifically his name was giles gagnier He was a serial child killer who claimed to use wolf morphing ointment similar to the two men I just spoke of, and as a wolf, he viciously attacked, killed, and ate children. He was known around the world as the werewolf of Dole, and he too was eventually caught and burnt at the stake. And as you can tell, like I said, there are a lot of similarities between werewolves and witches, but I think the distinction here is that many of the stories we've told about witches, in most cases, They never did anything wrong. A lot of it was like they were practicing a different religion or they didn't want to like follow Christianic way or whatever it may be. Like I felt like so many of them were innocent and wrongly accused. Mm. Whereas in my research, it appeared that men who were violent were often called werewolves because of their violent nature. And like today, you know, we understand psychopathy, sociopathy, and mental illness as reasons behind why people kill. Whereas back then- I feel like they probably were like, there's no reason that the that men could do such violent things, and by right, calling something is possessing right, them. and so calling them a werewolf then was allowed them to label it and be like, this is why they do the hor- horrible things that they're doing, and they're dealing with an evil like the devil and a werewolf. But then the most famous werewolf killer was the Bedberg Werewolf, aka Peter Stubb. And he was a wealthy 15th century farmer from Badberg, Germany. And according to lore, Peter Stubb turned into a wolf-like creature at night and devoured his fellow townspeople. And he would do this over a period of time. A lot of people would end up dead, men, women, children, animals. And the town was obviously stricken by grief and like all this death and tragedy. And they wanted to find the monster. And one day, a group of hunters claimed to see Peter Stubb out in his farm And before their eyes, they witnessed him transform from man to wolf. They ran to the town and they were like, we know who it is. We know the killer. It's the werewolf of Bedberg. And it became a witch hunt or a werewolf hunt, shall I say. And the townspeople came for Peter and arrested him and accused him of the murders. And of course, Peter denied the accusations at first. But after tons and tons of horrible, grisly torture, Peter confessed to being the Bedberg werewolf and of killing animals, men, women, and children. And he also even confessed to eating their remains.
1: Oh, uh, oh,
2: And he also confessed that he owned an enchanted belt, and that belt is what gave him his morphing abilities, and that he was able to morph into a wolf at any time he wanted. Mm -hmm. And then he was executed. But no such magical belt was ever found, and today people believe Peter was falsely accused and wrongly executed, But at that time, people wholeheartedly feared that anyone and everyone could turn into a werewolf. And if people were ending up dead or mauled in some way by, like, an animalistic creature, rather than thinking it was an animal, they wanted to blame a person and get justice. And so they blamed Mm -hmm. Peter Stubb. So a witch hunt, werewolf hunt, as you may. And this panic spread and the accusations grew kind of all over Europe throughout the years. There are tons of stories of people similar to being accused of witches, who were accused of being werewolves. But most of the ones that I read were similar to the first two stories I told you of men who truly were vicious, monstrous serial killers or killers that either they themselves believed that they were werewolves because of some mental illness or just being accused of being a werewolf because there was no justifying a man killing killing another. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are so many other stories of werewolves in history, real and fictionalized, And they're always depicted the same way. Monstrous, hairy beasts that are half man, half wolf that lose themselves and are overcome by a desire to kill. But the one thing that does vary is how they transform from man to wolf. So in the few stories that I just told, there were a few that were like, we use ointment or the like the magical belt that never existed. But um, some legends say that men who turn into werewolves are afflicted by a curse. And others say they use enchanted objects. Others claim People became wolves after being bit or scratched by another werewolf, which is similar to the vampire legend. In ancient Greece, it was believed that a person could be transformed by eating the meat of a wolf that had been mixed with that of a human, and that the condition was irreversible. Centuries later, there were other methods that were said to create werewolves, including being conceived under a new moon, or having eaten certain herbs, or by just sleeping under the full moon on specifically a Friday. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) the detail there
1: is great i mean there's a few of those (laughs) it was also widely
2: believed that werewolves could dress in a special protective wolf skin and they had to remove it at daybreak and hide it and if their magical fur skin was found by someone else then like they would die they had like protect their fur at all costs according to armenian lore there are women who in consequence of like deadly sins are condemned to spend seven years in wolf form. In one account, a condemned woman is visited by a wolf skin, totting spirit who orders her to wear the skin and it causes her to acquire terrible cravings for human flesh. And as the story goes, or the legend goes, when she is overcome by this desire to eat human flesh, she will devour each of her own children and then go and eat all of her children's relatives and, In order of their relationship to her and then finally after that she will go and eat the children of strangers and she wanders only at night with doors and locks springing open at her approach so like basically she has this magical power just to get in anywhere and then she kills children but then when morning arrives she reverts back to human form removes her skin and unfortunately repeats again at night but the most commonly known notion of werewolves and their transformation is that they transform under the full moon. Ow. Ow. And we've all heard that one before. We've read it in books, we've seen it in TV or movies mm-hmm. and today many people still associate the moon with werewolves and madness and it's kind of interesting. I was reading into some uh, some of the articles I read they're like professionals who've done studies on this and and really mm-hmm. looked into like how the moon affects emergencies. And how it affects, like, people's minds.
1: Interesting. And
2: there was a hospital. I can't remember the group. I didn't write this down, so I'm sorry. But I can't remember the group that did the study. But there was a hospital. Within a matter of a year, there were, like, 91 violent attacks that happened. And
1: 29% of them happened on a full moon. <gasps> That's so weird. Yeah. That's really strange. I mean, like, I myself don't sleep very well on the day before a full moon or same day. Mm. Maybe you're afraid of becoming a werewolf. Don't sleep outside on a Friday night underneath the full moon. Oh boy, I won't. I'm not sleeping outside. I say I want to live in the woods, but yeah. the other day I walked into my bathroom and there was a bug on the floor and I freaked out. It's not going to happen for me. Oh gosh, me neither. But I've never
2: proclaimed to say that I want to live out in the middle of the woods.
1: No, you're authentically you. I I'm, I am don't know who you're,
2: I am. You're you. You're way more authentically you than me. I just have made up versions (laughs) of myself that I like to play fantasy. We all have it. We all like it. But yeah, like police and emergency medical services have like anecdotally claimed that full moon nights are busier, crazier, and more dangerous than other nights. So maybe there are a lot of werewolves out there. I don't know. But um, those are how they transform. But what about when they aren't in werewolf form? How do you know if someone's a werewolf? How do you protect yourself? Well, in folklore, there are signs... To tell if someone's a werewolf. And I need to preface this with, don't take these seriously. If someone has any of these attributes, don't accuse them of being a werewolf because (laughs) they are probably not. (laughs) These were the thoughts in olden time and like have been written written down in legend, so. How many people are going to self-diagnose right (laughs) now? One of the first attributes, physical attributes, is the meeting of both eyebrows at the bridge of the nose, aka unibrow. Which I had up until I found a tweezer at 14 years old. So.
1: Okay. Should we do put a finger down? (laughs) Yeah. Put a finger down if. All right. You're you're one finger down. one finger down. Okay. Curved fingernails. Uh, I mean, that's me. I don't have flat ones. But they don't like go over your fingers. Is that what that means? I think curved, like almost like curled. Oh. No, not yet. Okay. (laughs) Low set ears. Do I have low set ears? no i can move my ears i don't think i do either i think mine are, i can wiggle mine too i'm just gonna put a finger down because i want to
2: be a part of this because <laughs> you want to be a werewolf okay i'm putting one down too we have low set ears and a
1: swinging stride oh i first, first actually have a told swinging one time, stride. an acting coach one time told me that i walk like i am trying to walk through ice i'm <laughs> extremely rigid so in fact that's opposite <laughs> I'm putting a finger back
2: up. I still have ten fingers. I'm having a really hard time keeping this one, this fourth finger up when all the other three are down. I know the ring finger. What's happening? Things weird. Those are the those are the big traits. So neither of us oh, are werewolves. Okay. Woo woo. Yeah. In the past, when someone was believed to be a werewolf, they would cut the flesh of the accused because they believed that in cutting the flesh, the fur of the werewolf would like appear underneath the the open wound. So if they saw fur exposed under the wound, they were like, ha! you are a werewolf. A Russian superstition recalls, a werewolf can be recognized by bristles under the tongue. Do you have bristles under the tongue?
1: I mean, no. I don't think so. But also, here's my question about cutting people open and looking for fur. Did they ever have success there? Like, why, why keep doing it? This reminds me of when they used to accuse people of being witches, and they would sink them to the bottom of a river and they were like, well, if they survive, they're a witch. And if they don't, they're innocent. And it's like, well, you just killed someone. No one, no one ever survives it. Do you not understand? Do you not make this connection? Apparently not. The appearance of werewolf in its animal
2: form varies from culture to culture, but it is commonly portrayed as being indistinguishable from ordinary wolves, except for maybe that it has no tail, which is a trait characteristic of witches in animal form. So, werewolves again and witches there's like a lot of commonality and a lot of similarities between them um but they do often look larger than real wolves and retain their human eyes and human voice which a lot of this also remind me of skinwalkers
1: i was just gonna say that when you said no tail yeah and it's like how do you
2: distinguish them and maybe skinwalkers are the werewolf mm-hmm. legend, you know, for that culture.
1: Exactly. I know. I feel like there's a lot of – we've talked about this before with different different creatures like pukwudgies and, and things that are just, you know, something might have striking similarities, but it's called something different in Chile than it is yeah. in the Philippines. Right. Another way to decipher
2: if someone is a werewolf – is after they return to their human forms, werewolves often become very weak, debilitated, and undergo painful, nervous depression. But again, let me tell you, if someone is depressed, don't accuse them of being a werewolf. Please ask if they're okay. One universally common trait is also that, and this was more in medieval Europe, was that the werewolf would be found in um, cemeteries, And they would be digging up recently buried corpses and devouring them. And, you know, after all of these threats of werewolves and and fear of them kind of wreaking havoc on their communities, there were a lot of medical professionals who were seeking cures for these real and imagined symptoms. Because for those who claimed to have witnessed a loved one transform into a werewolf, they claimed that it was a terribly painful transformation and that, like... the way that it hurt to transform into the body was like very, very physically painful. If you ever watched Vampire Diaries, I I, mm-hmm. I can't remember who what the characters' names are because I watched it so long ago. But there's that one character who's a werewolf, and then when he changes into the werewolf, it is like the like cracks of the bone and the, the like formation of his new body is truly ooh, unsettling. Yes, but so. Over the times, there were three principal ways that were developed in which a werewolf could be scourged of his demons. That was medically, surgically, which are, that's one, medically and surgically, or that he be exercised. And the last one was that he may be shot with a special bullet, which was typically a silver bullet. And there is a plant called wolfsbane, which over time has it's been believed that werewolves dislike the smell and you could, This doesn't cure them, but if you fear a werewolf is coming after you, if you surround yourself with wolf'span, they will stay away. And they also hate to be around objects made from silver or iron, which is why the third cure, so-called cure, was to shoot them with a special silver bullet. Which again, feels very similar to vampires, right? Like the wooden stake, wooden bullets, ways to destroy vampires. A lot of these medical or surgical cures were torturous, like bloodletting or causing, forcing people to drink vinegar or leeches or forcibly making them vomit. And unfortunately, a great many of these werewolf-inflicted, in quotes, patients died by the hands of those who promised to save them. Today, werewolves are known to be mythical creatures found in fiction instead of lurking in the dark woods, but there are still those who believe in them or believe they are a werewolf themselves. But again, I say, please don't go accusing people of being werewolves. No, There are many medical explanations for anyone who physically resembles or mentally behaves as a werewolf. And the first is lycanthropy, which is a rare psychological condition that causes people to believe that they're changing into a wolf or another animal. Apparently, food poisoning can cause certain people to react in a violent manner, which may convince them to believe they're a werewolf or convince others around them to believe that they are a werewolf. And also, rabies can cause, like, extreme hallucinations and and also, like, violent outbursts, which could make people think they're werewolf. Mm, Or mm -hmm. people who are on drugs and hallucinogens can hallucinate and believe that they are werewolves. Right. I mean, bath salts basically basically turns people into
1: werewolves.
2: Yeah. And alternatively, there's a rare genetic disorder called hypertrichosis. I think that's how you say it. That can cause excessive hair growth all over the body, including the face, which could cause someone to look like a werewolf. I think there have been only 50 cases since the medieval age or middle ages, middle medieval, What I don't know. There's only been 50 cases in recent time. So it's very, very rare. So do werewolves exist or were they simply a method to encourage warriors to fight violently until they won or a construct of something they could use to explain away things that they couldn't understand, like how a man could so violently kill a child? I do not know. I want to believe in werewolves because I think it's fun and I love Halloween Town and I want to think that werewolves can live in harmony there. But this brings me back to my question from the beginning. Knowing everything you do now about werewolves, Corinne, and all of our listeners, are you Team Edward or are you Team Jacob? Because get on board with Team Jacob.
1: I don't know. (laughs) Because if Jacob were... I choose Jacob as he... As Jacob is. But if Jacob is truly this werewolf form, I think I go with the Cullens. I think I'm a
2: vampire. <laughs> but then I feel like if I were to give you vampire lore and history, you'd probably choose I- neither. You'd go
1: back to big. Maybe I'm just the person in the town center that goes, witch! And points. <laughs> I don't believe that for one second. I believe you are a witch. <laughs> yeah, no, I would be accused <laughs> if I lived back then. I think a lot of us would yeah. be. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank goodness
1: times have moved forward and we we embrace. This podcast and all of our listeners is basically just a compilation, a collection of those that probably would have been accused. Yeah, absolutely. 300, 400 years ago. Yes. Here we are, though. We survived. We're here. We're chatting. We're having a good time. Yeah, we're talking about werewolves. No one's been accused. We're fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And also, in today's time, if someone... Was truly accused of having crazy magical powers. I feel like that would be something to celebrate. I'd be like, well, great. What sort of things should we? be doing what sort of things you want to get done here yeah, we'd be like hey do you want to come on the podcast <laughs> we don't usually interview people but we'd love to have you <laughs> we'd love to learn more about your magical powers i just love all these spooky stories and halloween tales and i feel like mythology and original fairy tales even though they're so dark they calm me and i like hearing those stories i like having you read me this story
2: is it something you could fall asleep to yes what did you pick <laughs>
1: Okay, well like Halloween Town creature. Naturally, I chose a character from Halloween Town that when I was younger, I had this strange sort of crush on. Oh my gosh. Maybe not too strange now for anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while <laughs> and you kind of understand what's happening here. But when I was young, I thought that Luke in goblin form was just so adorable. In goblin so, form? Oh, my God. I loved goblin Luke. I just feel something when goblin Luke comes on screen. Well, because he did just save
2: Marnie, so it makes sense. She even has a thing I know. for him. My heart flutters, my
1: belly gets warm, and I'm like, Luke, I will always take you in goblin form. I will. <laughs> I love you. I'm in love with you. So, I'm doing goblins, although they're maybe not quite as special as, as Luke. <laughs> Similar to yours, I choose Team Luke, but then after learning uh, the history of goblins, I probably choose uh, nobody. (laughs) So (laughs) I choose to love myself and live an independent life. Um, All right. So goblins. Goblins are creatures that first appeared in European folklore, and the stories date back to the Middle Ages, or really that's when they became super popular. So I'm going to give a very quick overview of some of the differences between creatures like goblins and leprechauns and those types of creatures. Yes. Because I feel like I myself sometimes get confused. Yes. I honestly was going to do gremlins, and then I saw you you were going to do goblins, and I was like, what's the difference? I mean, I did not write down what gremlin (laughs) is, so I I couldn't tell you. But they're all – they feel similar enough, so it it gets confusing. I mean, I feel like I can picture what they – physically look like, but I, I don't quite know the characteristics right. or like what sort of behaviors associated yeah. with them, their temperament. Okay, so super speed version is that gnomes are small creatures that live in woods. They can be malevolent, sometimes they're benevolent. Goblins are the larger version of gnomes. They're hideous, they're ugly, they're smelly. They like to live in the woods, deep in the woods, or in swamps and just moist places. Maybe the dark corner of your basement. Ooh, and then typically in folklore, these hideous goblins are malevolent. They'll eat children and women and they're greedy and all this. Then elves, they're mostly, they're mostly chillin'. They're benevolent. And then fae can be a bit more mischievous and dangerous at times. Fairies are magical. They have power over nature and influence plants and all that. They can vary in size. So sometimes they're really tough tiny like pixies, and then sometimes they're human-sized, and sometimes they steal human babies and replace them with their own. Oh. And then leprechauns bring good luck and fortune to any who can catch them. So usually leprechauns are depicted as positive. So again, the too-long-don't-read version is that uh, gnomes are small and kind of hanging out. Goblins are larger and scary. Elves kind of hanging out fairies can be scary leprechauns you get lucky <laughs> okay still kind of hard and they all really come from like the same area the origin story is i think for most of them comes dates back to europe not all not all of them but right. so really though out of the list that maybe confused you <laughs> more than the beginning so i'm sorry for that out of this somewhat confusing list Goblins are the ones that have the worst reputation. They smell. They are nasty. They aren't pleasant to look at. They're violent. They want to do harm to people. They're selfish. They're greedy. And leprechauns, you might be like, oh, leprechauns bring you luck. But guess what goblins are out to steal? Your heart. If you've gold. If you've, not your heart. (laughs) But maybe if they want to rip it out of your body. But they're more interested in your jewelry. So your gold, that shiny little Uh, ring you have on your finger, (laughs) Sabrina, Hey, Um, they will take it all. And if you think you can outsmart a goblin, you better hope you have some fairy folk or elves or something with magical powers or the universe on your side, because goblins are also said to have magical powers. Their powers, while sometimes compared to the magic of fairies, uh, is also compared to the abilities of a demon, Oh, So they are dark, they are barbaric, and they will do whatever it takes to get what they want. Don't like that. In English, Scottish, and Irish folklore, goblins also are said to run in packs. They are not solitary creatures. They hang out with fellow goblin folk, and groups of them will roam through the lands. They will pillage the farms and villages that they come across, and they just get into trouble. Especially on Halloween night, where it's said that a goblin's favorite activity is to commune with the dead, oh, so goblins are pretty crazy creatures. But I'm wondering, like, where did goblins come from? What is their origin story? And it's somewhat somewhat kind of up for debate, maybe there's no real clear like here's the first I think with a lot of these creatures, there's no like here's exactly the first time we ever saw this and and we know that this was created by this one person right. So, while record of goblins first appeared in the 14th century and became super popularized during the Middle Ages, we don't quite know what their origin story is. Like, are they from Earth? Were they placed here? Are they a species of earthly being? Perhaps an alien race? <gasps> no, not aliens. Not aliens, but maybe! Oh my gosh. And that's one of the questions that arose in Kelly, Kentucky, In 1955, the Sutton family was at their farm, and their farmhouse was a three-bedroom home. It didn't have any running water. It was just a quaint little farmhouse, and it's around 7 p.m. It's August 21st. It is still very hot out. It's a summer Kentucky night, sticky, hot. And the family is like, we just want to enjoy one of the last evening uh, of the weekend it's Sunday, so let's invite over some of our extended family and a few friends, family friends, so we can all hang out. So the family has a bunch of people over, and one such friend is Billy Ray Taylor. He was a friend of one of the men of the Sutton family, um, and they were working together on some circus or something. But So friends and also sort of business acquaintances. Mm. So Billy Ray Taylor, he leaves the group at the house to just walk through the yard to go fetch some water from the backyard because there's no running water, so he's just grabbing some more from, the, I presume, the well. Mm-hmm. And something catches his eye. It is a silver-looking object that is shining very bright. It is in the sky. It appears to be moving. It is silent, and it is coming closer. The exhaust from the craft is a series of colors. He said it's like it's like a rainbow behind this. Craft. Oh my gosh. And so Billy is standing there watching the silver silver object grow closer and closer. And eventually the craft passes over the farmhouse. It stops in midair and then it just drops straight down <gasps> to the ground. Oh my gosh. So Billy's like, oh and he runs inside and he explains to everybody what he just saw. And inside the farmhouse were quite a few people, the matriarch and the owner of the home, Glennie. She had five kids. Two of them were adult kids. Three were still young children. And then the two adult children had their two wives with them. One of the wives had her brother. And then the wife of Billy Ray Taylor was there. So there's a lot of people. And the youngest person was seven. The oldest person was Glenny at age 50. So it ranged in, in people's interests and ages and, and whatnot right. inside that little farmhouse. So Billy runs inside, and he's like, holy moly, this is like, so wild. You have to come outside and see what I just saw. I'm panicked. What the heck is happening? And everyone's like, ha, "Ha ha yeah, yeah, very funny Billy. And they effectively ignore him and write it off as a joke. And he goes up to his wife, and he's like, please, please, you need to believe me. You need to trust me. And she is cracking up. They think that this is some big elaborate joke, and They're just like, oh my gosh, what has gotten into him? He's so funny. Mm -hmm. So eventually, Billy just is like, fine, I'm going to drop it. Like, these people are making me feel stupid. And so he bites his tongue, and everybody else just goes on with their day. An hour after, so now it's probably around 8 Mm p.m., they are forced to face what's outside the farmhouse and Billy's original story because the dog starts to bark. Mm. And this dog is barking and it's barking and it's barking. And it will not stop. Trust your pets. <laughs> Trust your pets. Lucky, who is one of uh, Glenny's oldest sons, and I believe Lucky is the one that was uh, business partners with, or potential business partners with Billy, They, the two of those men, they go out the back door to see what's going on. And mind you, they're in their early 20s, so they are they are like today's college kids <laughs> going to investigate. And so they go to see what's going on, and they go to the back door of the farmhouse And through the window, they see this strange glow. And in the middle of this sort of aura, this glow, is a small creature. And the creature stood about three and a half feet tall. It had a large head. Its arms almost touched the ground. There were talons as hands, possibly webbed, and each talon was a few inches long. Oh my gosh. The body was very strong. This creature's chest was built. Its muscles were obvious. Its neck non-existent. Mm. It looks like it went to Gold's Gym. Like, oh, it is just, my
2: gosh. It's buff.
1: <laughs> went to Gold's Gym. <laughs> did you know that I used to think Gold's Gym was uh, for senior citizens? Really? Gold's Gym for like the golden years. I really did think that for oh, so long. Oh, my gosh. And then I found out Arnold Schwarzenegger goes there. You thought it. Oh, that's amazing. That's the like most pure thought. I just thought, you know, like people are just getting their exercise. No, it makes sense. Keeping keeping up their fitness. It makes so much Uh. sense. (laughs) But this creature, its ears were really large. It was swept backwards (laughs) against its head. And the ears, the tips of the ears rose even above the crown of the head. So its ears were, were massive and its eyes glowed. And the creature, similar to the craft that Billy had seen earlier, also appeared to give off this sort of silvery, metallic, almost metal in the way that it shimmered. It, it appeared almost metal. So now everyone's like, Ooh, we're believing Billy's first story. And so Lucky and Billy run to go grab two of the guns. And the men return, and the creature is still there, and they shoot at it. Mm. They shot this little man, as they called it. And the creature's hands raise up as if to be put in the surrender position. And it begins to approach the back door. Oh, my gosh. Then it does a flip. It uprights itself again, and it runs off into the darkness. But the creature was not gone. Because after a short amount of time, the two men saw a similar-looking creature. So now they're like, oh, gosh, there's multiple. A similar-looking creature in a side window. The men, again, shoot at it. They fire through this open window and through the screen. And the creature, similar to the first one, flipped and then disappeared. Oh. And around the same time. Like jumped in the air and flipped? Yeah, like a somersault, essentially. it's a gymnast. And apparently impervious to – it's impenetrable by bullets. Whoa. Um, So around the same time that this is all happening, there's a neighbor who lives a quarter mile away down the road – uh, and there's some woods that divides this neighbor's view of the Sutton farm. But he looks out and he notices these glowing lights coming from Sutton farm. And he's like, oh, man, there must have been like a pig or, you know, one of their livestock went missing and the family must be all out looking for it. Mm-hmm. And then later, when this this uh, fellow farmer or neighbor hears gunshots, he's like, oh, man, they there must be predators like trying to get the, at their livestock. Doesn't think too much of it. Moves on. In the meantime... Billy and the rest of the Sutton family are battling these creatures. So Billy moves over to the hallway and he's crouching down to lower his visibility. He doesn't want whatever's outside to see him. And Glenny runs over and she joins him. And together they see a creature come up and start approaching the door. And this was Glenny's first sighting. So really before it had just been Billy and Lucky who had seen creature but now everyone's starting to look around and hide and these creatures are are coming for them so glennie has her first sighting and she later goes on to tell reporters that quote it looked like a five gallon gasoline can with a head on top Whoa. and small legs it was shimmering bright metal like on my refrigerator so shimmery like okay it's like a vampire edward's skin that it's got it going on wow so billy's like okay i gotta do something He goes, he steps outside under the small overhanging roof to look around to see where these creatures are. Because now they're like, okay, there's three or four of them. And everyone's behind him. Everyone's watching. Everyone's terrified of what could be outside. And as Billy's looking around, a claw-like hand, these talons, they reach down from the overhanging roof and touch Billy's hair. (gasps) And everyone screamed and they grab Billy and they pull him back inside and Lucky comes out and he shoots above the overhang and then he spots another creature out by the tree and he shoots at that creature too. The creature in the tree floats gently down to the ground. Then it runs out of sight into the woods. So now the family's like, bullets aren't killing these creatures. We need to barricade ourselves. So they barricade themselves inside of the home. They turn on all the lights because they notice that even though these creatures are glowing, that when lights are around, they're less likely to pop out. So they have all the lights on. They're low to the ground. They're all together and they're quiet and they're listening for movements. And they don't know what these things are. They're like whispering to each other, like, are these goblins? Are these demons? Like, what are these? All they knew is that They weren't going to have a fair shot at fighting these things off because the guns weren't doing anything. And that's really the only thing that they had. So they hear scratches on the roof and they keep quiet. And then after some time, the noise seems to die down and now it's 11 PM. So from the time of the first sighting that Billy had in the sky, it has been four hours. So the group decides, okay, it's quiet enough. I think we can make a run for it. So every single person in that group, children included, they all run out to the cars and they get in the cars and all together as a group, they race to the Hopkinsville police station, which is in the, essentially the neighboring town. So breathlessly, this group of eight adults and three children, they get in, they tell police that they are under attack. There's otherworldly creatures that are keeping them under siege and had been for yeah. four hours. And the chief of police, instead of being like, okay, cuckoo, he's like, oh, my gosh, sound the alarms on this report. Because he later said, quote, these aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help. What they do is reach for their guns. Mm-hmm. So the chief of police was like, something is wrong here. Like, this is serious. And he said the group was hysterical. They were checking them out physically, the investigators and the fellow like police officers there as they were taking down the record. And one of the men's pulses was 140 beats per minute. So this guy was like, his heart was racing wow. and the investigators had attempted to calm the group and all that, but they just couldn't. They were so worked up and just trying to spout off all these details and they were absolutely terrified. So the police chief, he calls for backup He calls his team to go to the house, the state police to go to the house, the military police from the nearby Fort Campbell base to go to the house. And he also calls the Kentucky News Era, which I think was a a newspaper, and he calls a photographer from the newspaper to go out there as well and get some evidence. Mm. So – Everybody, there's a ton of people, a ton of experts there. They all walk the grounds and they find no evidence beyond the shell casings from the shotgun and the bullet holes in the screens in the windows and through the roof and whatnot. And so they're confused. And so they turn to the witnesses and they start to examine everyone. They pull everyone apart and start to dissect their stories and really look at them. There's no sign of Looker. There's no sign of anyone being under the influence. Everybody's stories are perfectly lined up, even though everyone was all over the place for the night and not necessarily right together. Right. But the nightmare wasn't over for the night. Oh, no. The police and the reporters and all of the help are like, okay, well, you know, maybe we should revisit this again in the morning. It's getting late. We can't find anything. I'm so sorry. Like, what are we going to do? We can't just sit here all night. So they leave and- the majority of the group, the family that was visiting, the uh, everybody kind of like separates from that was previously at the party. And the Sutton family goes to bed. And then the creatures return again sometime <gasps> oh my around 2 30, 3 30 in the morning. They don't stop. And they don't they don't leave until the sun rose. So, Glennie said that she was in bed, and she saw one with glowing eyes right next to her bedside window. Its talons were on the window screen, and it just stood there watching her. Oh, my gosh. And then once the sun rose, the creatures left, and the Sutton family never saw them again. So, the next day, police returned again. They're like, okay, we really got to look. It's daylight. We can search for evidence. Let's find anything. Let's find imprints of the craft landing. Let's get footprints, blood, anything that we didn't find last night that would show that there was something else beyond just the group that was there. But they found nothing. Nothing. And there was one report that did say that there was near the overhanging roof, that there was this weird substance that shined metallic-like when you looked at it at a certain angle. But I only saw that in one source, so I'm not sure that that's actually true. A, a true part of this report and this story, but I'll just put that out there for other people to add in if they want. Um, but the the police, they don't find anything in their investigation. And a local radio station had called for the adults to come in for an interview that day. So immediately the press is on it and they interview all of the adults. So really everybody in the party minus the three children from Kaleni's uh, second marriage. Mm-hmm. And... The local radio host notes how impressive it is that everybody remembers all the details, like the specifics of the stories, the creatures, everything. It was so consistent. And he thought it was really strange because he really just felt like this validated their experiences because the adults really hadn't been able to see each other since the initial police report or the night of the incident. Mm. None of the stories changed. It just all added up. It all made sense. They wouldn't have had time to really discuss the specifics after seeing the police. Right. And so just – there was enough that was confusing and then enough that was also like, these people can't be lying. So it really just left everybody baffled. And this encounter would go down as one of the most detailed and strange close encounters on record because it had almost a dozen witnesses. The creatures were in very close proximity, sometimes only a couple feet from the people. And it was multiple hours long. It wasn't just a quick blip. It wasn't just 15 minutes. It was four hours of being in contact with these creatures. So it quickly became regional and national news. And people were wildly curious. And so they're like, woohoo, let's go visit this farm. Let's be spooky visitors, spooky tourists. Hmm. And so the family's like, oh, God, there's a lot of people here um, trespassing (laughs) on our lawn. So in an attempt to lessen the number of people showing up, the Sutton family, they post no trespassing signs. And then they essentially are like, if you want to come onto our yard, you have to pay for it. So they start charging admission or attempt to onto their land, which in turn, even though they were kind of trying to d- deter people from from just coming and, and walking around their property, in turn, it made many skeptics believe that the story was entirely made up. The Sutton's were just trying to make some money off the story. And so it didn't really help the Sutton's case. Mm. But the story did not stop spreading. It grew and it grew. And the story, like many do, it starts to evolve. It starts to shift. It starts to change as it reached the rest of the world and was retold and retold again. And so a lot of the details of the original case were actually not the details that a lot of people were getting. It was like a brand new story. Interesting, But what was locally called the Hopkinsville Goblin case – Turned into the little green men. So that is actually the birth of the term little green men, which oh. we still hear today in reference to alien beings. Interesting, Very interesting. So, of course, you know, beyond the police, everybody else is like, we got to investigate this. And this means a lot of paranormal investigators and scientists and whatnot are are taking huge interest in this. So a ufologist, Isabel Davis, she does one of the most extensive reports of this. And she said, yes, it lacks strong physical evidence, but the possibility of a hoax or a group hallucination is also really lacking a lot of evidence. And so her case was super thorough. There was like a 50-page book that they put out with cases like this. And she was like, there's really no... like." after doing all of this deep dive in this research, there's still no answer as to what could have happened because there's no right. physical evidence that anything did happen, but there's absolutely no nothing that's pointing us to disbelieve this group of, of people and what they experienced. And then the Air Force UFO Investigation Program, Project Blue Book, also looked into this case, but they never ended up fully investigating it. Interesting. And then in 2006, a new theory was proposed by a paranormal investigator named Joe Nickel. He found uh, a report of a meteor from that same day, uh, and he believes that that could be what Billy saw in the sky, that gray metal object. But that doesn't explain anything they experienced. Right. Yes. And so then, and also it doesn't explain how how the thing could stop and drop right over the house. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But anyway, Joe was like... It's got to be a meteor. And then his explanation for the little mischievous uh, goblin men, mm-hmm. great horned owls who are active at night and who will become aggressive when defending their nests. That's what he said. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Also, they don't have ears. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I believe they were goblins or aliens. I mean, okay. Or maybe goblins are aliens. Maybe That's they're true. an alien
2: species. Because they do, the way you were describing them, they're very, I don't know, it, just, it does sound very alien in nature. Especially with, like, the spinning disc falling out of the sky and, like, that mm-hmm. weird shimmering that they have. It There right. is something, I mean, yeah, they do feel like alien creatures. They
1: also feel really demonic. Yeah, they're, like, mischievous. It's like they're bullying them. It's fun for them to torment yeah. this family. Yeah, which is really strange. And two, when I was researching this, I was like, okay, this is like the goblin case that keeps coming up, but it does feel very alien-esque. And so there were a bunch of in a, a bunch of the reports that I saw, there were um, renderings that were from the original investigation or from like later interviews with the family of what the creatures looked like. And I was looking at them and I was like, yeah, it kind of does look like an alien. But then I Google imaged goblin and i was like fuck this looks so much like a goblin wait i'm gonna look. so me there are I, I did limit i focused on this story rather than all of the backstory of goblins but there are um supposed to be different species of goblin and mm. so maybe not all of them are so extremely mischievous and evil um and, and will differ in appearance so perhaps this is what we're dealing with that some of these creatures that were it's like when we talk about bigfoot and some theorize that it's actually an interdimensional species of creature that like comes in and out mm. lips in and out and that's why we can never truly identify it but interesting very interesting but whatever happened that night it was enough to scare everyone who was in the house that night and Glenny herself who owned the house she ended up moving to this little place in town because she said she felt a lot safer to be around more people so don't blame her clear clear Clearly, something happened. Yeah. And so the story of goblins, later turned little green men, would go down in history and would be talked about for years and years. And Glennie's granddaughter, Geraldine, she has spoken about her family's experiences that night. And she's spoken at numerous events as well. She's published the story in two different books. And it's just a super popular um, story in paranormal history. And Steven Spielberg- Do you remind me when- What year it happened again? It was nineteen fifty. Let me get the exact date. Hold on. Nineteen fifty-five. So it's pretty recent. Yes. Do you think the government knows that they're aliens? The goblins are aliens or that there are aliens? The goblins are aliens, and this story is about aliens and that and it's part of the big
2: conspiracy and they have to keep it covered up, and that's why they are promoting, yes, goblin creatures rather than
1: aliens. Man, I don't know. I don't know because like locally it's all called the goblin case, but then but then outside of once it once it gained traction outside of that county outside of the state, it turned alien. So I want to turn alien. Unsure. But Steven Spielberg himself, he actually did cite this case is part of his inspiration behind ET and Close Encounters. I was
2: gonna say they remind the creature kind
1: of reminded me of ET the way it looked. It's a yeah, it's a little bit ET, and also it reminds me personally of the third, no, the fourth kind. Did you watch that mm-hmm. movie? That movie scared the crap out of me. But essentially, it's about like alien abductions and there's a lot of imagery with owls and stuff in it. And so it kind of reminds me almost of this entire case and including the theory of the great horned owl. Um, Interesting. I'm not sure. Just some parallels, Mm. but the Kelly Hopkinsville goblin case, whether they're aliens, whether they're goblins, another creature, or if goblins are aliens, this will forever go down in history. And each year, in Kelly, Kentucky, they have an annual Little Green Men Festival, <gasps> and it's canceled this year because of the pandemic, but you should definitely check it out next year if you're in the area. What time of year do they do it? Uh, I, th- I would assume, nope. Why did I think that? I was like, I would assume summer because of winter, but they're in Kentucky. <laughs> Little, Green, uh, Little Green Men Festival. Let me tell you. Oh, it's on the anniversary of the uh or at least this past year it was supposed to be. Friday, August twenty-first. Ooh. Yeah. So I, I don't know if they just do it on the weekends. I would kind of would assume they would do it on the weekends, but this past year it would have been the anniversary because I believe it was August twenty-first in nineteen fifty-five wow. when the experience happened. I'm
2: gonna put it in my calendar so, and every year we should celebrate.
1: Yes, it's like SpongeBob and Happy Leaf e- or uh, Leaf Erickson Day little just green okay. we'll choose it as our holiday. I'm putting it in our calendar. If I work at a place where I get a flex holiday, I'm going to use <laughs> it as, as that one. I can't
2: come to work today I'm because so I I'm So sorry. Little Green Monday. Day. Repeat yearly.
1: I'm adding <laughs> it to our calendar. This is important. <laughs> I love it. We should keep doing that as things come up. I feel like we've we haven't been good about there that. There we go. It's in there. Need to
2: that in. is a good idea. We should just we should have a TGOG holiday calendar
1: and I feel like <laughs> After three years, we probably have a holiday every day that we're missing. Oh, I'm sure. We need to go back. I really want to go back to every single episode and write down everything we reference and those dates, but it would just be so
2: much fun. Someone work. did start doing it and I'm so sorry if I'm missing your name or
1: if I because I'm because I am missing your name. Let me see. Um I feel like there've been a couple people and we just need to be good about sourcing it and like grabbing the information that they've pulled for us. Yeah. Let's
2: see. I don't know how to find this in our email.
1: That's a 2021 goal. That that is a good,
0: good goal. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Okay, listener stories. This is from Lizzie, and it's titled, A Story for Just About Every Topic. Hello ladies, I have had numerous spooky, ghostly, paranormal, and just plain weird encounters. So, after listening to your podcast for the past few months, I figured it was finally time to start writing a few of them down to send to you. My first ghost. I was pretty young, probably around 5 years old, before I even knew what a ghost was. And one day I wanted to say something to my mom, and I heard her walking around upstairs. So, I walked over to the bottom of the steps, and I called out for her. But when I looked up, there was a man— "'standing at the top of the staircase. "'He was in a long, dark coat "'and had some sort of hat on, "'and he was halfway between a silhouette and a person. "'We just stared at each other for what seemed to be hours "'until my mother called my name from the kitchen, "'which is the same floor that I was on, "'and I turned and I looked at her, "'but when I looked back, the man was gone. "'I've seen him a few times since then, "'once behind a tree across the street from that house, "'once in the woods on a Girl Scout trip, "'and I used to call him Reflecto.' But now that I've listened to your podcast, I'm wondering if I was being followed by a hat man when I was a kid. Oh. In that house, I would be shaken awake. My arm would be grabbed. I would hear someone pacing in the attic all night long. And if I went up there, I would feel someone breathing on my neck. Every time. But it wasn't just in that house. Everywhere I went, I would experience something. I honestly thought he was following me. And maybe he was. Who knows? but I don't experience things like that as much anymore. My second story is called Appalachian Trail dot 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 werewolf question mark. So I used to work at a camp that was located near the Appalachian Trail. We would take our cabin out on an overnight camping trip once a week. The only thing different this week was I was taking my kids to a shelter along the Appalachian Trail that I had never been to, but plenty of the other counselors had. We made it there just fine, made dinner and s'mores, and started to lay our sleeping bags out on the tarp for the night. No tent, it was just us and the stars. And there were a few other hikers staying in the area of the shelter that night, which is totally normal. And the guy closest to us already set up when we got there. While my campers were fighting over who got the extra chocolate from the s'mores, this guy came up to our group and told us, Hey, just so you guys know, I'm camping with my dog, so you might hear him out walking around or barking. We thanked him for the heads up, 8 preteen girls definitely would have freaked out about something moving around us in the darkness, and we continued setting up our camp before it got too dark. At a little after midnight, I started hearing the neighbor's dog howling from the tent. Except it didn't really sound like a dog. It sounded like a human being imitating a dog. I heard the tent unzip and the dog walking around outside the tent. I sat up to see if our neighbor came out too, but all I saw was the outline of a rather large dog. One of my campers sat up and asked if I could see the owner, and I didn't want her to freak out, so I replied, no, but he could be on the other side of the tent, knowing full well that he did not get out of the tent with the dog. I told her to go back to sleep, but the howling woke up the rest of my campers. After about an hour or so, the dog went back into the tent, and it was quiet enough for them to fall asleep. But I never slept through the nights on those trips, because I was always scared someone was going going to come kill my kids. "'But I must have dozed off for a few minutes "'because I woke up just before dawn "'to the neighbor packing his tent "'and other supplies into his pack. "'But there was no dog. "'I didn't see it anywhere around the shelter. "'It wasn't a running through the creek. "'There was no dog. "'The man finished packing and he left, "'and still, there was no dog. "'One of my campers must have had "'the same problem sleeping as I did "'because I heard her whisper to me, "'Where's the dog?' "'We spent the rest of the morning racking our brains to see "'if we saw the dog the night before.' When everyone else woke up, we all realized we never saw the man and the dog at the same time. Was it a werewolf? Who knows, but it definitely wasn't normal. This last one is the quickie. I am now a park ranger in the same forest where I used to work at the camp. About a week ago, I was just on my regular patrol and it was pretty quiet in the park. I turned onto a road and checked my rearview mirror to see if anyone was parked around the corner. And I didn't see a car, but instead I saw a man in a dark blue sweatshirt and jeans hanging from a tree. His neck cocked to the side, and he was rotating slowly in the breeze. I slammed on the brakes, threw the car into park, and jumped out. Suicides in and around the park are not unheard of, so I braced myself for the worst. But when I ran to the trees where I saw the man, there was no one there. I searched the area, but I didn't find anyone. As a law enforcement officer in training, we are trained to be attentive to everything, so I know exactly what I saw, and I know it was real." Anyway, I'm sure I'll think of some other stories to send you at some point. But for now, thank you guys so much for the podcast and keep up the incredible work. See you on the other side, Lizzie.
1: I have such bad chills from that last story. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God.
2: How traumatizing to see that and concerning and then to get there and no one's there.
1: Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. It's so sad. And I really hope it's not a residual thing. I hope that there's some evil demon out there that's just trying to implant this awful site to passerbys yeah. in the area. I do wonder,
2: though, if it is residual and if there are records yeah. of past suicides in that park, if perhaps there is record of one happening in that tree or in that
1: location and she could find it. Right. Because you said, yeah, she had the description of him, mm-hmm. right? Didn't she say blue jacket or did you just blue make that up in my yeah. head? Yeah. So that would probably be in the report, I would assume. Right. But the werewolf. The werewolf. Okay. That's freaky. And that makes me wonder... Like, the fact that he's, like, going to public campsites and he has enough awareness, if it is a werewolf, he has enough awareness to at least warn people so that people don't go investigate. But I I feel like, like, a public campsite or a park would be kind of, I mean, I guess you're still a human for a lot of it, too, where you don't want to put yourself into danger in human form, but, or with hunters. Right.
2: I mean, maybe this is proof werewolves are not all after eating humans, but, like. It made me, as I was reading it and like as I read it earlier, if related to my story, if it was a Friday night and if it was a full moon. It probably was because I assume it's a
1: weekend. Eek.
2: Oh my goodness. How many people are going to go out right now and look up the next
1: Friday full moon and try this? Should we look it up right now and tell people? Let's save some people some research. <laughs> full moons. 2020. Full moons. Let 2020. us 2020. There are
2: two full moons in October. Or there were this month. There were two in
1: August too, I believe. Okay, that was unhelpful. That's just the dates. Yeah. I need, now I need a cross-reference. November 30th and December 29th. Here, I'll look. Well, then, wait, what'd you say? October
2: 30th? November 30th. There was one. I was like, that's. There was one last night, the 31st. It was a full moon. Oh, yes, Halloween. Okay, it's not, November 30th is not a Friday. No.
1: Okay, you tell me the dates and I'll cross-reference for you. I have the calendar up.
2: Neither of them are Friday. November 30th was a. That's a Monday. And then December 29th is a Tuesday. What about the next year? Well, now I have to pull up a whole new calendar. Okay, fine. Guys, we're all going to have to look into this. Let's convene on the Facebook group. We need to find a Friday full moon. And everyone from Two Girls,
1: One Ghost podcast is going to sleep outside under the moon and turn into werewolves. We're going to be on the news, (laughs) you know. This is like when someone said that they were going to storm Area 51. It's going to (laughs) be That's this. We'll create a Facebook group. Everyone join. Invite your friends. Post on your neighborhood watch group. Let's go. Let's turn into werewolves. Woo! Weirder things have happened in 2020. (laughs) This is from Sean. It's called My Grandparents' House. This one may be slightly on the long side, and I'm not sure exactly how old my grandparents' house is, but I'd guess it's close to at least 50 years old. And for as long as I can remember, they've lived in that house. The house consisted of one floor plus a basement, and it has a weird design due to how the ground level on the property changes. Where the driveway and the garage are is technically the basement, and it's on the ground level. But when you go along the side of the house, the basement is mostly underground. On the main floor, you have the kitchen, you have the main bathroom, the living room, their bedroom, and two other rooms. The basement is mostly a long corridor with the room off the side and a small storage room, a closet, and another bathroom connected to it. The house was almost like a second home for me with countless amazing memories But where there are good memories, there are bad ones. Before my grandparents moved into that house, an old woman had been living in the house before them. I don't know the details about how she passed away, but I do know that she passed away in the house and in what is now my grandparents' bedroom. I've never seen her from what I can remember, but I have felt her presence on the main floor of the house on many occasions. I would feel like I was being watched, usually from the bedroom, but I would also feel like somebody was standing behind me when I'd be sitting in a certain spot. I really never felt scared by her, but it was a bit unnerving for me when I was younger. And then there's the basement. The stairs are at the back of the house in the living room, and they are straight shot down all the way down. Just looking down those stairs were enough to chill me to the bone. I've never felt the type of fear anywhere else. And the only way I can describe it is extreme dread or the feeling of impending doom. It's the type of fear that can be hard to describe, but if you ever experienced it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. In order to turn on the lights, you would actually need to go into the basement to turn them on. And the bathroom down there has the only shower in the house. So that was not ideal, seeing as my family and I lived with them for a month while moving to a different province. As a child... I would tell people that a goblin lived in the basement, (laughs) and the goblin liked to hang out at the far end at the basement corridor in the darkest section of the basement. Again, I don't remember ever seeing anything, but parts of me feels like I may have repressed something. Yeah. Then, in May 2010, my family got a call that changed our lives forever. My grandparents were at home, relaxing, and my grandfather was watching his Montreal Canadiens play, and my grandmother was knitting. She decided to go get a drink, and she saw that my grandfather had fallen asleep, So she went to go wake him up to see if he wanted one too. She gave his arm a quick shake, and then she noticed he was cold and that he wasn't responding. (gasps) That's when she realized he wasn't sleeping. She called my aunt and uncle, who were down the road, and then 911. My aunt and uncle got there first, and my aunt was administering CPR until the paramedics arrived. They took him to the hospital, and they tried to bring him back, but it was just no no good. Just like the owner of the house before, my grandfather passed away in the house— Ten years later, I can still feel him in that house, and I can still smell his distinct scent. In almost 30 years, I've only felt that evil in and from the basement. I feel like the old lady, and now my grandfather as well, are keeping whatever's down there from making its way up to the main floor and keeping the living safe in the house. This was a bit difficult for me to write, as I never got to say goodbye. We live in Toronto and my grandparents in Montreal, so we weren't able to get there until the funeral that being said keep up the amazing work i've been a listener since day one see you on the other side sean oh wow oh sean i'm so
2: sorry for your loss and how sad for his grandma to find her husband that way oh my
1: gosh i know it's awful but at the same time like he was watching his favorite sports like what his the love of his life was knitting next to him like what a what a peaceful way yeah, that's true. In your own home where your kids, your grandchildren come. Like That's definitely preferred. There's just so much yeah. warmth and light in that home, except in the basement. But
2: I totally agree with Sean. Like, I think th- that this, the good spirits are keeping the negativity at bay and trapping right. it in the basement. And I totally believe that's what good spirits have the ability to do i'm really
1: curious too if sean were ever to go under hypnosis (gasps) or or something to kind of look at his childhood and his memories at this house if he is what's the word i'm looking for if he is repressing repressing a memory because if for him to talk about this creature in the basement and to have this crazy fear of the basement and not to just be like, I don't feel good about the basement, but to have, as a child, to have this fear and talk about this creature. Yeah. But then have no memory of of a lot of it, of ever seeing it. I wonder if something really awful happened to him once. Right. And if it is a
2: goblin, like if he did, like his joking about the goblin was his way of, you know, making light of a dark situation that he was repressing. Well, because they
1: like dark, wet places. Ooh. And what better place than a basement? Dank basement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like this is a finished basement, but but still dark yeah. down. Yeah, I
2: mean basements, regardless, they're closer to the dirt of the earth, and yeah, who knows what crystal or minerals are down there that are conduits.
1: I know. Now this is our new fear. I know. I was talking to my grandma about. Remember how I said that in the spare bedroom in my grandparents' house, in the closet, there's this tiny little crawl space, like a little extra tiny closet and door in there, and it always freaked. Like it freaked my mom out when she was growing up and lived or slept in that room and it freaks me and my cousins and my brother out. And I was talking to my grandma about it and she was like, oh yeah, I taped that door shut. And I was like, (gasps) what are you trying to keep out? And she was like, bugs. I
2: I thought it was good. (laughs) That was my immediate fear too. that's funny you and i Uh, we've we've been doing this podcast this ghost thing for too long that's always going to be our first our first conclusion
1: we immediately go to it anytime i mishear someone i immediately go to some sort of like creature some ghoul some paranormal word as filler demon demon did you just say demon it's like no my name is deborah (laughs) but i i said my name is deborah (laughs) so you're not a demon
2: cool great but you now think i'm
1: i'm possessed
2: great <laughs> cool. I'm
1: gonna go. Well we don't want you guys to No go. stay forever. Play with us. Until we eventually see you on the other side. Yes.
2: Until then. Please send us until your then. ghost stories. Um if you know of any other creatures in Halloween Town or fun creatures that you want to be in Halloween Town, uh email us about them and also email us your ghost stories, your creature stories, your alien stories, your uncle's stories, anyone's stories to our email at which is two girls one ghost podcast at gmail dot com.
1: There's also a variety of ways to support us. You can follow us on Instagram and all our social media accounts, join the Facebook group, write and review on iTunes. Hey. Oh my gosh, that actually matters a lot. So much. And also just telling everybody about us. Yeah. That's that's solid. Let's go back to the pyramid scheme technique. I really like that one. Same. I think everyone's doing a great job. You are. We love you all. Quick thank you to
2: Eric Foster and the entire team at Upfire Digital. We are so, so appreciative of all your help. Thank you. Hi. And we will see you on the
1: other side.